So Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 to 16. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Judah, in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one? with a portion of the Spirit in their union, and what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who hates and divorces, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and do not be faithless. Well, do keep that open, and inside your service sheets is an outline of where we're going. In 1941, an Italian man uh, called Soriani, he found an injured puppy by the side of the road and he took, this little god, he took this little dog home and he nursed him back to health and he decided he would keep him and he named him Fido. Every morning, Soriani uh, got the, the bus to work and Fido would accompany his master to the bus stop and Fido would be there in the evening when he came back, waiting at the bus stop to greet him when he returned home from work. One day in 1943, the factory where Soriani worked was hit by bombs in an air raid. 109 people were killed, including Soriani. And that evening, Fido the dog went to meet the bus as usual, but his beloved master didn't get off. Fido waited, waited, and then went home. Next day, Fido returned, waited again, but in vain. Of course, his beloved master was not there. And this went on day after day after day for 14 years. 14 years until Fido himself died in 1958. And the little dog was buried next to his master, and there was a statue that was erected in his honor in this small Italian village. The name Fido means faithful. The dog was true to his name, as many dogs are. And the question is, are we? That is the challenge in today's passage in Malachi. Are we faithful? Not to a dead master, but to the living Lord and to one another as his people. Are we loyal? Are we trustworthy? Are we committed? Or are we like the people in Malachi's day? Are we faithless? So if you've got the passage open on page 969, you'll see that the term faithless 
comes up five times in this short passage. Verse 10, verse 11, verse 14, verse 15, verse 16. Now, faithless can mean one of two things. It can mean you don't have faith, or it can mean you're not loyal, you're not trustworthy, you're not faithful. And that second sense is the meaning in the passage today. So this was 5th century BC. The people of God, loved, chosen by God, they'd returned from exile to the promised land some decades before. They'd rebuilt the temple. But they'd become spiritually disillusioned. And the rot had set in. And their worship in the temple was half-hearted. They were going through the motions. They were giving God the leftovers. They were offering defective sacrifices. The priests and the people had gone astray. But what was going on at the temple was just the tip of the iceberg. So the problem was not just their behavior at church, but at home as well. They were being faithless. Faithless to the Lord, faithless to each other. And the Lord hated it. God is interested in not just what we do at church on Sundays, but he's interested in how we live Monday to Saturday. He wants us to honor him as the great king that he is. Not just at church, but at work and at home. Malachi zeroes in on two particular examples of faithlessness among God's people at home. They are marrying unbelievers and getting divorced. Now, I'm very aware of how sensitive these subjects are. And it feels like walking into a minefield, even um, talking on this. Some here will have married unbelievers. Others have got divorced. And raising these issues can be very, very painful. But consecutive exposition of books of the Bible, it means God sets the agenda, and we can't just sort of put these issues in the too-hot-to-handle file. And there are important lessons for all of us in this passage. First, then, mixed marriage, Uh, verse 10 of chapter 2. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? The we there is God's people. It's not talking about everyone, it's God's people. So God is the Father of his people. As he said back in chapter 1, verse 6, If then I am a father, where's my honour? As God said to Pharaoh back in Exodus 4.22, he said, Israel is my firstborn son. Let my son go that he may serve me. And so also in in the New Testament, God is not the father of everybody. He becomes our father when we put our trust in his son, Jesus Christ. And so when it says here in verse 10, has not one God created us? The us again, it's not everyone, it's God's people. He created them when he redeemed them, when he made them his people in the covenant at Sinai. And as New Testament believers, it says we were created in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2.10. Okay, so as God's people, it's saying we all have, as God's people, we all have God as our Father. So what? Well, verse 10 Why then are we faithless to one another? Literally, a man to his brother. 
If as believers God is our Father, that makes us brothers and sisters. So why are we being faithless to one another? Is what it says. It doesn't make sense to do that. You see, if we're family, we should be committed to one another in love and in loyalty. That's his point. If you're into the uh, the Fast and Furious film franchise, which I must confess I'm not, but um, family apparently is a big theme. So for Dom, his crew is his family. In the fifth film, at the end of their mission, Dom gathers his crew for their celebration, and he tells them, the most important thing will always be the people in this room, right here, right now. Salute mi familia. Very cringy. But we could say the same, couldn't we? Right here, right now. That as believers, the most important thing should be the people in this room. In Christ, we're family. We're to love one another. We're to be committed to one another in brotherly love. We're to be faithful. Now, being faithful to one another will be expressed in all sorts of ways. Serving one another, using our gifts... Uh, giving, money, showing up, looking out for each other, being committed to our small groups, being there for people, praying for each other, praying with one another, being reliable, being trustworthy, doing what we've said we will do. It is a nightmare, I can tell you, trying to maintain this, uh, this barge, this boat, because the workmen outside are so unreliable. It's ridiculous. So the marine engineer, the alarm system guy, you cannot trust what they say. So they repeatedly promise, they make assurances, and they just don't show up. They don't reply. And it's just saying as believers in Christ, we should be different. We should be trustworthy, reliable, faithful to one another. Now that is a challenge for all of us. There are many, many ways that we might be guilty of being faithless. But Malachi, he zeroes in on a particular example in his day. So have a look at verse 11. Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. Married the daughter of a foreign god. The daughters of a foreign god were women in the surrounding nations who worshipped other gods. So the people of Judah, as we've seen, they were sons and daughters of the Lord. The people of the nations were sons and daughters of other gods, false gods. And Judah was guilty of intermarrying with them. And the men especially were doing this, it says. This wasn't just an isolated one here and there. It was epidemic. So Judah as a whole, it says, was guilty of this. When Ezra arrived um, a few years after Malachi, it's the first thing he's told. So Ezra 9 verse 1, the officials approach him and say, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands with their abominations. For they've taken some of their daughters to be their wives for themselves and their sons. Nehemiah had to deal with the same problem. 
A couple of centuries later, so when you get to the 3rd century BC, the Septuagint was written. The Septuagint was a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And the Septuagint mistranslated verse 11 as follows. It said, Judah has gone after other gods. It mistranslated it. And probably the reason was, mixed marriage was so common among Greek-speaking Jews, it was too awkward to mention this. And so they made this verse about idolatry, not about mixed marriage. Now, we will feel tempted to do the same. Because marrying believers, marrying unbelievers, it is so widespread in our day in the church. But we mustn't duck this. In the Old Testament, marrying outside God's people was forbidden. And the issue is not that these people were foreigners, but the issue was that they worshipped other gods. So, you know, Ruth was a foreigner. She was from Moab. But she made the Lord her God, didn't she? So Ruth 1.16, she said, Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. She said that to Naomi. The reason for the ban on mixed marriage was to protect God's people from idolatry. So Deuteronomy 7.3, God says this, You shall not intermarry with them, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Now to do this was being faithless to God and also faithless to his people because it was introducing compromise and idolatry into the covenant community, which would spread. And so we can't just say, well, this is me and my life. Our choices affect other people. Foreign women who worshipped other gods, they were the downfall of King Solomon. Despite his greatness, despite his wisdom, this was his downfall. 1 Kings 11 verse 1 says, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, and his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, and the Lord was angry with Solomon. The Lord's response there to Solomon, it highlights how serious an issue this is. It's a big deal. And we see this here in Malachi as well, don't we? So have a look how it's described here. So verse 10, it's described as profaning the covenant of our fathers. It was violating the covenant by disobeying God's command. Verse 11, abomination has been committed. Strong word of saying it's detestable to God. Deuteronomy 18.9 had said that you shall not follow the abominable practices of the nations. Verse 11 says, Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord. So it was making unclean what was holy. And verse 12 says, may the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, or as other translations put it, whoever he may be, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. So the guilty person was to be cut off by God Probably not just by banishment, but by death. Now, what does this have to say to us as New Testament believers? Firstly, flee idolatry. This was the reason behind the ban on mixed marriage. God wants our hearts to be true to him, not going after other gods. And so all of us need to flee idolatry. John ends his first letter, 1 John 5.21, with these words. 
Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And so we need to guard our hearts. We mustn't allow anything to take God's place in our hearts in being faithless to him. Uh, Faithless to our brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's a big take-home for all of us. Secondly, a specific take-home is if you're Christian, this is saying don't marry a non-Christian. So the Old Testament ban on mixed marriage is not lifted in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 7.39, so a Christian widow is told she is free to be married only in the Lord, it says. That is to a believer. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what fellowship has light with darkness. Now, if you're not a Christian here today, you are very, very welcome. We would very much hope you'll come back. So this isn't getting at you at all. This is a message for those who are Christian. So, various things I put on the sheet there. Firstly, if you're a Christian considering marriage, don't compromise on this. If the person doesn't love the Lord, it is irrelevant that you seem to have so much in common, that they are so amazing, that you are in love, that you feel so happy with them, that your parents approve. If the person doesn't follow Christ, this is saying don't marry them. To do so is faithless to God and to his people. And there is a big risk that if you ignore this, your heart will turn away from God. And in fact, in taking that step, your heart will already be turning from God by disobeying his command. And in your marriage, your your spouse's different beliefs may well end up compromising your own. Because you will have united yourself in the closest possible relationship with someone who worships another god. Now, whatever they're worshipping at the moment is going to be easier than following the Lord. So whether they're following a different religion or atheist or agnostic, they're worshipping something else. Now, sometimes we fool ourselves, we rationalise things by saying, but, you know, he or she seems, uh, seems interested in Christian things. Or we say, well, at least they're happy for me to follow my path. Either someone is born again, or they're dead in their sins. Either someone is worshipping the Lord, or they're worshipping another God. Either someone is heading for heaven, or they're heading for hell. In the Bible, it's binary. Sometimes people say, look, I know a Christian who married someone who wasn't a Christian, and their non-Christian spouse later became a Christian through them. Well, yes, that can happen, and it's wonderful. Praise God when that does happen. But it doesn't make it right. Surely it'd be a bit like saying, I know a Christian who was imprisoned for fraud, but in in, in prison, someone else became a Christian through them and through their witness. We say, well, praise God, but does that justify fraud? I don't think it does. Someone might say, well, I don't know any suitable Christian men or women I could marry. You know, I don't go to a big church. The barge isn't a massive church. Well, there are numbers of couples here at the barge, married couples, who found each other through dating apps, Christian dating apps like Salt. But you need to be rigorous. So, Fiona and Christian, they don't mind me sharing this. I mean, they spent three hours 
on their first in-person date, talking about what they believe, talking about the gospel. And they've already done lots of sort of uh, interaction online about, you know, what do you actually believe? What's your testimony? We've got to be rigorous. Second, uh, some Christians have remained single because they didn't meet a Christian that they wanted to marry, and they wouldn't marry a non-Christian, although they had options there. Well, that is the right call to make, but that is a big call to make. And we should honour those who have done that. We honour their faithfulness to God and to his people. Thirdly, sometimes when two non-Christian people marry, one of them later becomes a Christian. If that's you, you're now in a mixed marriage, but you've not done anything wrong there. Praise God for his mercy to you. And there are a couple of passages I put on the sheet in particular that address this situation. So 1 Corinthians 7 says you must stick with your unbelieving spouse. 1 Peter 3 encourages believing wives to win over unbelieving husbands through their godly example. Uh, The same would apply if two Christians married and subsequently one of them fell away from the faith. But fourthly, what if as a Christian you did marry someone who's not a Christian? Where does that leave you? Look, it it may be that you weren't even aware it was a wrong thing to do. It may be you were in a church at the time that didn't teach on these things. Or maybe you did know, but you went ahead anyway. Maybe despite the warnings of other believers. There is forgiveness in Christ for any sin, apart from the sin of continuing to reject Christ. So this is not the unforgivable sin. It does not mean that you will now be cut off by God. So that punishment mentioned in verse 12 was suffered by Christ for us. So Isaiah 53, 8 says of Christ that he was cut off from the land of the living. And so if this is your situation, there is no need to carry around a rucksack of guilt and remorse. We're to leave that burden at the cross. That said, our wrong choices have consequences we need to live with. Uh, We reap what we sow. And it may be that life now, spiritually, at home, is very difficult. And you wish you had the support of a Christian spouse. And if you have kids, bringing bringing them up to know the Lord on your own is going to be very challenging. A very good friend of ours married... Um, a believing friend of ours married somebody who wasn't a Christian, a non-Christian man, many, many years ago. Over the years, he became increasingly hostile towards Christian faith, and spiritually, she would say, it has been a nightmare. If you are in a mixed marriage, the big danger is that you will turn away from the Lord. And if you do that, the fate of verse 12 will be yours. As for any of us, as for any of us, who turn away from the Lord for good. And so you need to keep going in obedient faith. And without any spiritual support or encouragement from your spouse, you need the Christian community more than ever. What does repentance involve in that situation? Well, confess our wrongdoing to the Lord, ask for his forgiveness in Christ, and love and pray for your spouse and pray for their conversion. So repentance does not mean leaving them. It does not mean that. So divorce is not the answer, which brings us to our second point. Don't be faithless by getting divorced. 
So if you look at verse 13. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offerings or accepts it with favor from your hand. If we had seen God's people at the temple back then, we would have thought, wow, these people are really, really committed. They are devoted. What love for God. They're in floods of tears. They're weeping. They're groaning. I mean, these folk take things seriously. But God was not fooled. God is not impressed by emotional worship at church if we are disobeying him at home or at work. So, you know, I could be overcome with emotion singing that song, Faithful One, at church, tears in my eyes. But so what if I'm being faithless at home? You know, God is not fooled. Emotional display in Sunday worship does not cover disobedience in the week in our lives. Now, this is not saying that emotion in worship is wrong. We're to bring our whole selves to church. But obedience is what counts. Faithfulness. Repentance. If we're, not be- if we're not behaving rightly at home, we might as well stay at home. Because God won't listen to us until we repent. So how were these people being faithless? Not just in marrying unbelievers. Have a look at verse 14. But you say, why does he not? That is, why does God not accept us? So, you know, as they did before, the people arrogantly pushed back. Verse 14 Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. God's people were getting divorced. Uh, They were divorcing their spouses, especially the men, it says, were doing this. Presumably so they could marry the foreign women who worshipped other gods that we've already looked at. So they were being faithless to those to whom they should have stayed faithful. So look how their wives are described. Three ways. Firstly, verse 14, the wife of your youth. Uh, They got married when they were young. But now, later in life, the men were leaving their wives. And it's sadly all too common. Uh, Middle age it's said, is a danger zone for marriage. Um, sometimes onlookers scratch their heads and they say, why do people get divorced after 20 or 30 years together? It doesn't seem to make sense if you've lasted that long. I think part of the answer may be that midlife brings all sorts of challenges. People speak, don't they, about midlife crises, physical changes, emotional changes, emptiness syndrome. People get bored You know, they think the solution is to look for excitement somewhere else. They trade in their aging spouse for a newer, younger model. Or they just drift apart and they end up on different pages, like Hugh Jackman and his wife of almost 30 years recently. The wife of your youth is, secondly in verse 14, your companion, that is your closest friend and partner. Thirdly, she is, verse verse 14, your wife by covenant. You promised to stick with her. You made your vows to love, to cherish till death us do part. You vowed before your family, your friends. We vowed before God himself. Verse 14 says the Lord was witness. 
To divorce our spouse is to be faithless to him, to her, and to God. So verse 15 says, Did he not make them one with a portion of of the Spirit in their union? So in marriage, God joins two people together. We had it in the first reading, Matthew 19. Jesus said, So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together... Let, let not man separate. We're all familiar with those words from the marriage service. Verse 15, what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. Uh, normally, marriage produces children. God wants Christian marriage to produce Christian children who will be brought up to know the Lord in a loving, stable, God-centered family, not a broken family. In divorce... Often it's the children who suffer most, as some here will know from painful personal experience. Um, In his autobiography, apparently uh, Matthew Perry, um, Chandler and Frenzy, who died recently, he traced many of his insecurities and addictions back to a damaged childhood where he was split between divorced parents. And he says that as a child, he felt abandoned by both of them. That is not God's good design for marriage and for family. So divorce is being faithless to our spouse and faithless to God. And he hates it. And he hates the damage it does to people. So if you look at verse 16, it says, For the man who hates and divorces, says the Lord, the God of Israel. The Hebrew there could equally be translated, I hate divorce, says the Lord. Some translations have it that way. I think that's more likely. I hate divorce. It's strong language. And verse 16, a man covering his garment with violence. Again, a difficult phrase, but it's probably referring to the animal sacrifices. So back in verse 13, the people were, they were covering the altar with tears. Here they're covering, same word, their clothes with blood from the animal sacrifices. But such offerings are just violence, uh, Hebrew word Hamas, interestingly, if we're being faithless in marriage. So what should we do? Verse 15, so guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. It's repeated again at the end of verse 16. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. So what God wanted them to do, what he wants us to do is very clear. Don't be faithless, be faithful to your spouse. Don't get divorced. The New Testament message is the same. Uh, Jesus, in our first reading, Matthew 19, he was asked about divorce, and his reply, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, 10, the wife should not separate from her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. So the Bible says elsewhere that marriage pictures the relationship between Christ and his people, the church, and so we're to be faithful. That's the big headline, we're to be faithful. So is divorce never permitted for Christians? Two exceptions are are mentioned in the New Testament. Firstly, if your spouse is sexually immoral, Jesus said, Matthew 19, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. 
Secondly, if your unbelieving spouse leaves you. So 1 Corinthians 7.15 says, if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister, the Christian, is not enslaved. Those are the only two exceptions that are mentioned. So is divorce only allowed biblically in those two situations? Or are those two just examples of serious, irretrievable breakdown of a marriage. I take them to be the latter. Um, If someone's spouse is abusive, for example, uh, they should get out, at least for their own safety. Where does this leave us then? Firstly, if we're considering marriage, do not enter into it lightly, as the marriage service says. It is a lifelong commitment. Till death, us do part. If you're not ready for that, don't get married. The Animal Charity, uh, the Dogs Trust, they have a now iconic advertising slogan. A dog is, is for life, not just for Christmas. That's uh, because, you know, um, as Christmas coming up, people often buy a puppy as a surprise present for their loved ones. They'll, they'll think this is fantastic. They're a few months later... After the novelty's worn off, reality set in, the dog ends up in a shelter. Getting a dog is a lifelong commitment. And so is getting a spouse. It's not something you just rush into because you've fallen in love with someone. Take time, have godly criteria, don't compromise, ask for advice. Secondly, if you are married, don't get divorced. All marriages go through hard times. If at the moment, if you're struggling as a couple, reach out, get help. In the world, divorce is epidemic, and many people hold their marriage vows very lightly. But a Christian view of marriage should be very different. So if you're struggling, get help, reach out. Of course, when you put two sinners, which we all are, even if a Christian, we're sinners in Christ, you put two sinners together in such a close relationship... It's going to be difficult at times. So marriage is something that we all need to work at if we're married. We need to cultivate. Don't give up unless the relationship has irretrievably broken down. Don't give up. Rob Parsons, who founded a charity called Care for the Family, he's, he's got decades of experience of counselling married couples. He says that often when couples come to him and they're on the verge of divorce it becomes apparent there hasn't been the most basic level of communication between the couple about what actually the issues are. Thirdly, if you have been divorced, in Christ we find mercy and we find grace. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. It may be that you were the innocent party, that your spouse tragically walked out on you, maybe had an affair. And you carry the pain, you carry the sorrow of that. Your circumstances may be very different. You may recognize now that you didn't actually treat your spouse as you should have and you were partly to blame for the relationship breaking down. And that may be a source of much regret and guilt. Whatever our situation, as we repent and come to Christ, as we draw near the the throne of grace, Hebrews 4 says... We receive mercy and we find grace to help in time of need. 
Well, we began with the story of faithful Dido. Dogs are wonderfully faithful. Sadly, as humans, it doesn't come so naturally. In our sinfulness, we are naturally faithless. But thank God that he is faithful. In the divine marriage of Christ and the church, we were not exactly a very suitable choice of spouse, were we? Far from it. But in Christ, we've been cleansed and we've been made holy. And he has promised to stick with us and he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. Well, may he strengthen us by his Holy Spirit to respond by being faithful to him and being faithful to one another.